Hey everyone, you want to see the mod file in action? Well now you can. Here's some upcoming dates. On Friday the 9th of November, I'll be at the Forest Town Arena, Mansfield, for Hope Wrestling. Tickets available at hopewrestling.co.uk. On Saturday the 10th of November, the 198 will be in Passarola SF Academy, Italy, for Italian Championship Wrestling. Tickets and information available at icwwrestling.it. On Friday the 16th of November, I'll be at the Whitby Club, Ellesmere Port, for Britannia Wrestling. Tickets available at fatsoma.com forward slash Britannia Wrestling. Saturday the 17th of November, I'll be at the Yate Leisure Centre, Yate Bristol, for Pro Wrestling Chaos. Tickets available at prowrestlingchaos.com. Sunday the 25th of November, I'll be at the Liverpool Olympia, Liverpool, for NXT UK TV tapings. Tickets available at livenation.co.uk. And finally, on the 29th and 30th of November, join me as I host an evening with WWE Hall of Famer, Mrs. Foley's baby boy, Mick Foley, in Bristol's Bower Club and Birmingham's Reading Suites, respectively. Tickets available at ticketsource.co.uk. So please be sure to come out and support all the boys and girls involved in British wrestling, as each week we tear it apart. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Morgan Webster's Wrestling Friends. As always, I'm the undisputed king of the mods, the mod father himself. Or maybe here's something you like to know me, the pod father, Flash Morgan Webster. Or more importantly than that, for the next five minutes, to the hour, to the hour and a half. We have a long this conversation with the wonderful, first ever interview ever, with the wonderful John Briley goes this week. I will be your host, or as I see it. Facilitator for all these chats, discussions, gatherings. You know me. Absolutely love that word, gatherings, with your wrestling favourites. What's that like to call them? My buddies, my pals, my acquaintances. But they're always, they're always my wrestling friends. Of course, if you are an avid listener, you know this podcast kept you most weeks free of charge. And we're able to do that in thanks, and in part, thanks to our lovely sponsors, pinsandknucklesmerch.com. Uh, if you, I say it every week, but if you are looking for... Any place to print t-shirts, you're looking for any place that does subliminal printing, they do flag printing, they do embroidery, they do pins and, well they do pins, yeah, because they are pins and knuckles of course, and they do everything else in between. If you're looking for merchandise, if you're looking for like you've got a stag do coming up, or maybe somebody's birthday party, or I don't know, a themed event, or anything like that, have a look on the site, pinsandknucklesmerch.com, they'll match any price, and if you can't see it on there, they 100% will go out their way to find out if they can do it. And they, again, they'll try to beat any price of anywhere else out there, if they can do it, of course. And of course, if you, uh, just being an avid listener of the podcast, if you do bulk order from them, 100 t-shirts, say the promo code FLASH, say I sent you, and you'll get five free t-shirts. That's £100 worth of merchandise for uh, for you, regardless of how many colours you get printed. Uh, on the t-shirts, you'll get five free flags. So, uh, you know, money in your pocket, people. But yeah, big thanks to them, uh, Pins and Knuckles Merch, for having us stay on the show. Of course, I do understand that not everyone needs to buy merch, needs to buy, buy t-shirts, needs to do any of that sort of stuff. So uh, maybe you just want to help me keep uh, the podcast on the air. That can be done, of course, by heading over to morganwebster.pickartel.com. 
check out our t-shirts over there. We've got one in eight flags, one in eight t-shirts. We've got the last of the Yale submachine t-shirts. I thought, I thought that they were all gone. And I thought, oh, so the last one. And then I found a box in the back of my wardrobe. So apparently they're not gone. I do have a few left. So uh, yeah, it will be the last time I print these. Um, I say this about a lot of t-shirts. There are other ones from the past. I am looking at it and I'm going, ooh, I do remember that being a good seller. I do remember that uh, I quite like that one. And I do remember as well that a lot of you... Uh, a lot of you enjoyed it, and we've got a lot of new fans, a lot of new fans now, and a lot of new listeners. So I might bring out some other old designs in the process. But the Yelson machine at the moment is the last time I'm going to be running it, and I think I'm down to the last, maybe the last fifteen, last twenty T-shirts or something. So if you are looking to make sure you get in your size, if you are making sure uh, that you want it, then head over to morganwebster.bigartel.com and check that out. Of course, I do understand that not everyone can afford to go to Pins and Knuckles merch or morganwebster.bigartel.com. And that's fine. Your time, your time enough. Your time is valuable enough for me. And uh, but maybe give me a cheeky shout out. Maybe give me a cheeky shout out. Rate, subscribe, review on the iTunes podcast, Addict, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast from. And make sure you're tweeting it out. I'm at Flash underscore Morgan on the Twitter. I'm Facebook dot com forward slash Flash Morgan Webster on the Facebook. I'm at Flash Morgan Webster on the Instagram. And uh, if you do want to send me a little discreet email, book me for an upcoming seminar gig event, or maybe you want to sponsor. Uh, the rest of the podcast then all that can be done at flashmogan.live.co.uk so please keep it all coming people this week's guest is the first ever sit down interview one on one interview with John Briley on the podcast and I'm, I'm glad that it's me I do apologise in advance for the intros and outros if I do sound a little wispy if I do sound a little bit hazy um, I was in Malta this weekend uh, did Riptide and then went and stayed at the the hostel and ended up sitting up and chatting to Chris Brooks and Chris Ridgway and Santos and everyone else in between. I uh, probably fell asleep around about four o'clock and then my alarm was set at five. So uh, actually I think I fell asleep at three o'clock and my alarm was set for four. So I literally had an hour's sleep, went to Malta, had a very long show. Great fun crowd over there, great making my Maltese debut. A lot of fun, great, uh, great match over at Malta. And then, of course, it was another late night, and I probably had another three hours sleep. So my immune system absolutely shot this weekend. And uh, as you, it can be hard as well while on the road to make sure your diet's perfect. So a lack of veg and a lack of fruit definitely meant that my immune system took a battering, which meant that I woke up uh, on Monday morning with a lovely cold. So apologies in advance uh, if this intro is a little bit sniffly. But uh, I do enjoy the sensual voice that I do have on this. But apologies for that. Of course, this podcast was recorded a couple of weeks ago. So uh, so you won't have to worry. You won't have to worry about my voice being grudgy during the podcast. But I do apologise if I report, record some podcasts this weekend. And the next couple are a little bit ropey in regards to my, my voice. Everyone else will be perfect, of course. But yeah, great fun weekend. Was done a Riptide where I was Alex out of a clockwork orange, showed up and said I was cured. So I was cured, of course I'm not cured. I hate everyone at Riptide. But uh maybe maybe that crowd maybe that crowd is slowly warming to me and I'm slowly warming to them too. But uh, a lot of fun down at Riptide down at Brighton. Um definitely go check out one of their shows if you haven't. They've finished out for two thousand and eighteen, but two thousand nineteen will probably be a bigger and better year for them. Of course I did head over to Pro SM Malta make my Maltese debut. And it was a great fun show over there as well. Packed out, sold out. Uh, TV taping, I do believe, for Maltese TV. I'm not quite sure when that's going to go out, but uh, it will. So keep your eyes peeled for that. If you are a Malta, if you are a Malta fan, please keep your eyes out for that. Um, I think that really does sum up my week review. Apart from me coughing my lungs up and 
than me? Am I forgetting anything? Am I forgetting any sort of competition that I should be that I should be announcing? Maybe I am. Maybe of course I am. Of course I am. So uh, the last twenty four hours, I've been running a competition to see who would get the two free tickets for Birmingham and the two free tickets for Bristol when it comes to my evening with Mick Foley, giving away two free tickets to both of them. And uh, I had run that for 24 hours on the Twitter. All you had to do, of course, is to retweet and like the post and then reply with whether you want in Birmingham or Bristol on there. And I'm 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 really happy to announce, uh, insert drum roll here. Or maybe I won't. Who knows? Maybe I did. Probably did. It's probably late. Anyway, your winners going to Bristol. The winner is, is Andrew Howlett. Congratulations, Andrew. And the winner of the burner tickets is Tom Clark. I'll be contacting you both in the next couple hours and letting you know that you've won. And then, of course, I'll be getting your email details and we can send through the best tickets we possibly can. So, yeah, congratulations to both Andrew and Tom. You are this week's winners. And I uh, look forward to seeing you at an evening with Mick Foley. Okay, that really does sum up uh, my week. So I guess all I've left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy what is a wonderful conversation with Progress Wrestling's John Briney. First ever interview on the podcast. I'm stoked over this. I really am. And it's a fantastic interview. It really is. Enjoy, people. Yeah, I do all my intros and stuff afterwards. And if anyone's listening now they and they're wondering what the chomping is, you're eating pizza, which uh, I've already done one in the Indian restaurant, which I said, so it, it doesn't really make a difference. But I'm joined here today by uh, Progress Wrestling's John Bradley. Hello. How's it going, John? Good, thank you. Um, again, I um, I think I mentioned it once that I wanted to do the podcast. We were going to do it uh, maybe on the American tour, but that was never going to happen. The so the best laid plans, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was never going to happen. But uh, I decided I was going to try to get a few... And this week I'll be on it on alert, so and luckily it's happened. So, uh, how I usually like to start this, John, and I know yours is a little bit different, but when did you, what was your first exposure to wrestling? When can you remember kind of really watching it and going, oh, wait a second, I, I really like this? Uh, the bit that the first time that I can remember really liking it was, I came to it pretty late. So, so was, you a fan, was you a fan when you were a child? Or anything I, like I don't know if fan is the right word, really. I used to live in, uh, in Germany. When I was a child, between the ages of nine and twelve, how, how, how come? Uh, my dad's job. Oh, so I took him to Germany. So you went. So we went, because otherwise that would be neglect. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's, it's a good, it's a good franchise. The Home Alone films, so you know, it's going to be a bit of fun. Uh, and wrestling was available on free to air, presume TV, at that point. Um, I remember watching it fairly regularly. Then I speak quite softly. That's absolutely fine. Um, yeah, I remember watching it fairly regularly, but I never was really fully into it, I don't think. Earliest memory from then is watching The Undertaker win a casket match, and I don't know who it was against. It would have been 91, 92, something like that, and I could not understand why he hadn't been arrested. <laughs> like, he's just killed him. He just killed a man, yeah, of course. Um, and at that point, I think my, my dad said, you're not watching this. You just thought it was silly, or I guess. Yeah, you just thought, well, you you probably asked him why he's not been arrested. Right. My dad probably couldn't give you a good answer. Right. So, yeah, yeah, so, and then, so the easiest way of dealing with it is just to turn it off. Turn right? it off, and and that was it, pretty much. Yeah. And then I, and then I kind of went f- from 
age wherever I was, 11, to age ooh, 24, 25, probably, maybe even a bit later, without it even being in my consciousness. Yeah, didn't exist. No. Um, and then, so I was in a situation where I had a long-term partner, uh, not married, engaged. We bought a house in Cornwall, despite living in Brighton at the time. Oh, really? Yeah. So we went on holiday to Cornwall. Cornwall's expensive too. Mm-hmm. Very. <laughs> we went on holiday to Cornwall, fell in love with it. She thought I wanted to move there. I thought she wanted to move there. Oh, God. We bought a house. And, and so realised that neither of us wanted oh, to live there. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, and the assumption you were making both each other happy. Yeah, exactly. Which I'm guessing in turn, because you didn't really want to live there, did the complete opposites. Oh. Pretty much, yeah. So uh, so that happened. And then uh, I think we broke up seven or eight months later. And I had Sky Sports. Or maybe I bought myself a Sky subscription at that point. Because I was so living alone in Cornwall, literally alone in Cornwall, didn't really know anyone there. Um, I was travelling to and from London every couple of weeks for work, which was comedy promotion at the time. So I bought myself a Sky subscription, and the idea was to watch a film every night and to watch sport. Because you're a big football fan, right? Big football fan, big football cricket fan. fan. Yeah. Um, and one point I turned on. Sky Sports 2 I'm guessing it probably was and Smackdown was on and it was MVP and Matt Hardy I can't for the life of me remember if they were tagging or feuding at this point but I was just watching that and I was hooked in but watching it as an adult seeing it in a obviously in a different way that a kid does seeing it for what it is yeah um, yeah and I was just hooked from them oh really yeah and then, so I guess we would have been leading up to WrestleMania season, and I think it was the Mania after Cena returned at the Rumble after supposed to, supposed to be out forever. Madison Square Garden yeah. return, because that was in a lot of the hype packages for that Mania. So it must have been then. Someone will know what year that is. Yeah. Um, watched that WrestleMania, and yeah, it was fairly religiously watching from that point forward bearing in mind I didn't know anyone in Cornwall possible I didn't even have a car at that point so I couldn't even leave the house really just in the house just in the house watching sport and wrestling and films and doing my job obviously yeah of course so So, they're my memories so where do we go then from watching wrestling to you deciding right I want to do this or I want to be involved in this or I want to create this that's that would probably be the best way to put it mm-hmm. um, I guess I was so I was doing comedy promotion mm-hmm. at that point I was Jim's manager stroke promoter as well as nine or ten other people how did you get involved in that because that's another thing I've never ever met a comedy promoter apart from you <laughs> well there's not many it has to be said um, I got involved in that straight out of university. I was at, went to university at Goldsmiths. Which we had a conversation about, and I got quite excited, and you was like, I didn't do anything artistic at all. I went, no. okay, never mind. No, I did media production. 
and what the hell? <coughs> I can't even remember what it was. Jesus. Media and communication. Okay. Um, and it's part of my third year, like practical coursework. Yeah. I I did radio production as my specialism. Okay. Um, so yeah, part of my third year coursework, I produced a sort of 15 minute radio documentary on the stand-up scene in London, despite not knowing very much about it. Um, there's a theme arising here, <laughs> I just realised. Oh, nice. Um, so I made that, uh, as part of it, I challenged myself to do some stand-up. Really? Yes. How terrifying is that? Oh, it's absolutely <coughs> terrifying. Oh, I can imagine. I, I've had thoughts about it. I, I don't think I could do it. And I was terrible at it. God, really it? bad. Um, <clears throat> so I did that. I guess I did it for about a year, maybe, off and on, but not gigging very often. Maybe once or twice a month. Uh, did a couple of the sort of studenty comedy competitions that yeah. still existed at that point. Um, but was not good. I don't think I ever got paid for a gig. Um, and then the, my girlfriend, who was the same long-term partner I mentioned yep. previously, she developed Crohn's disease and was really, really ill. Yeah. And I just couldn't leave her at home, basically. Yeah. Um, and didn't want to leave her at home. Uh, she was not well. And so... One of the people that I'd met whilst gigging, I he I felt that he was really, really good and I couldn't believe he didn't have management. Like he'd been going for three or four years at that point. I was getting regular paid work and I was surprised that he didn't have management. So I just spoke to him about it and said, hey, I've not done this before, but do you fancy throwing your lot in with me and seeing how we do, how we go? He said, yes, thankfully. Um, so I started managing him added a few more people he told some friends that I was doing a good job I think at one point I managed to get him up I must have done managed to get him up to the point where he was he was able to jack in the day job that's good yeah that would seem to be my specialist skill as a comedy agent it really seems to be a specialist skill with a lot of people let's be honest given the the rise of the scene and stuff like that yeah sure uh, but yeah, get, getting people to a, a point where they could earn enough, even with an agent's commission, to uh, to jack in the day job so they could concentrate on comedy or wrestling yeah. full time. So yeah, and it just kind of went from there. The little company grew, I got an office, started promoting at the Edinburgh Festival. Really, really reached a glass ceiling at... Yeah. Uh, it may also be the case in wrestling, it's hard to know, cause, because, um, but in comedy certainly, if you're not one of the big management companies, uh, there are five or six who yeah. are just juggernauts, it's incredibly hard to make any kind of headway. So I was in a position where I was signing really great comedians who'd been sort of passed from pillar to post around the big agencies and either fallen out with them or the cracks and all that stuff yeah and trying to use those guys <coughs> as a as a the tip of the arrow to go in and then open up the crack 
for uh, for the other acts, but it never really happened. So where does Jim Smallman come into this? When did you when did you meet Jim? I met Jim. When did Progress start? Twenty twelve. So I must have met Jim. I reckon in two thousand and eight. Okay, possibly two thousand and nine. Um, I signed him to my management company mm-hmm. before I knew he was a wrestling fan. Okay, and before he knew I was a wrestling fan. Um, at one point, he came into the office. At this point, the company had grown. I had a couple of full-time employees. Um, he came into the office, and I had computer up doing work and on a laptop or an iPad or whatever I had Smackdown on um, and he saw that I was watching it and then we just started talking about wrestling and very soon our meetings were about wrestling <laughs> not rather, comedy. rather than his career <laughs> which is not healthy um, and then we get to about 2011 I guess and I, I'm, I've started to have it, have enough of comedy. Okay. Banging my head against that glass ceiling repeatedly. Uh, acts realizing that they, I could get them to the, a certain point, and then not get them any further. And that, as a realization, when you're running your own business and you realize your own limitations, is awful. It's the worst. Soul destroying, I can yeah, imagine. Completely. Because yeah. what you've just spent 10 years trying to build towards to the point where you can join that juggernaut group or at least hang with them, you realise it's never going to happen because the acts that you need to take you there are going to jump ship to the juggernauts as, almost as soon as you get close. As soon as they get close, they're like, you can't get there. But they can. Yeah. Thanks for the thanks for the help, John. Yeah. <coughs> Pretty much. Thanks for the trampoline. Thanks for the, the ladder. <coughs> and you were just like, I've had enough. Yes. By that point, I'd I'd had enough. I can't. I, I wish I could remember which summer it was that I decided I'd had enough. It was twenty twelve, which was it was the same year that progress started, and that's not a coincidence. Yeah. Uh, and I remember deciding in about June twenty twelve that. Uh, that Edinburgh Festival which runs every August that was going to be my last one which I've never been to have you have you good things but I've never ever been uh, I've never been as a fan or as a punter just been to promote yeah so I can imagine stressful time it's 20, 21, 22 hour work days for a month I've, I've spent more than a year of my life at the Edinburgh Festival oh my god yeah oh my god I, I don't even want to think about that I love a festival but I can imagine how that how that bloody is. So you had enough, and you started. I guess you started talking, and was like, "Wait a second, maybe uh, maybe we should give this a go." Is that no, how so no. The the chronology is not quite right. Um, we, me and Jim, had, had we flat shared at the Edinburgh Festival in two thousand and eleven. Okay. Um, during our downtime, we were watching some PWG DVDs, which I'm guessing at the time you didn't know existed, and it was not at all. introduced. Him. Yeah. Um, and because I'm, I'm a, a slightly weird uh, dualism of risk taker and cautious. Okay. In my life, so uh, I'm a risk taker in terms of betting on myself I guess 
but when I get to a point where I need to rein it back or whatever, I will be cautious about things. Okay. So we decided to we we spent a lot of time the previous twelve months talking about what we would do if we put a wrestling show on, how we how we would do it. Yeah. Um, and we were watching these PWG DVDs, and that I think was the final push we needed to to actually book a venue and get on the phone to some people and ask for some advice. And but we decided to do the show before we'd asked for the advice. Okay. I basically we just decided that we were going to do it. We both had a little bit of cash that we could afford to lose if it went to shit, and uh, yeah, got the venue booked. Started the social media word of which mouth. which was fantastic. By the way, can I just put this? I think I've said put this over in another podcast. So, um, social media in, in British wrestling at this point wasn't really a thing. I had a Twitter. I probably had around about a hundred followers. That was probably it, and the most anyone probably had was around about 2,000 if you're one of the top guys. Now, my flatmate and me had a bet to see if we could get to 100 followers the quickest because we had the same. Mm-hmm. And he beat me, 100% beat me. But I remember a couple of days later him coming to me and I heard buzz, a little buzz about progress. And he came to me, uh, a wrestling fan, but knew nothing of the independence. And he came to me and went, what's progress wrestling? Mm-hmm. And I went to him, How, what do you mean? How do you know about this? Yeah, and it was because you were so switched on that you went and found what in my eyes was every wrestling fan in Britain and you and you followed them Mm -hmm. and the interest he in again not an independent wrestling fan again probably never never has been to a progress but he talked spoke to me about it and probably spoke to others about it Mm -hmm. like wrestling he instantly followed you back and then he got a message from us oh really what was the message? Because I probably would have thought I would have got the message too. What was the yeah, message? Yeah, the message would have just been, hey, thanks for following. Um, the Sunday, March 25th, 2012, at the carriage, be there, hashtag this is progress, or something like that. Along those lines. Along those lines. But literally, everyone who followed us for that first year got that message. And it was the next show. It wasn't a DM. Yeah, it always provided the next thing. But it wasn't a DM, it was a reply. Uh, the number of hours I spent. A tweet, a direct tweet? Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. You were, you were sorry, the, the, <laughs> There's something wrong in my head. Yeah, <laughs> But well, something right at the same time because it was switched on. But yeah, you, got that, you had that social media down from the, from the outside, which again, something wasn't happening. Yeah, which right. I, I personally spoke to Chris Roberts about this and we said that there's loads of, loads of variables, of course, why the British scene took off, but I think the, the coincide of of British people really getting behind Twitter really getting behind Facebook definitely helped British wrestling it's built communities isn't it that's exactly mm. you go other places like Germany for example and it's non-existent still and they, and they struggle sometimes yes but uh, yeah so you, you got this social media out you got it sorted and you had a, you had a venue booked we had a venue booked um, so I guess we were, where are we were about September October uh, 2011 at this point so we've got the venue booked we have got Colt Cabana booked of course why wouldn't you why wouldn't you exactly but because he's a terrific wrestler and a good draw and uh, and we knew that we could he would help us and he would also advertise on the podcast and exactly. Stuff. exactly yeah of yeah. course um, so and then we I spoke to him a, a couple of times and he recommended uh, Sabre and Skull 
to book. Yep. So I booked then, asked them for recommendations. And that's how we booked our first card. We just booked eight people to go into that first tournament to crown a champion. And then... Did you sell it out? Yeah. We sold out the day before. What Can you remember what break-even point was? Probably about 120% of the capacity. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we, no, we, we didn't make any money off that first show. But we were, A, we were prepared for it. Uh, because by the time we'd sold enough tickets to realise that it was going to potentially be an ongoing concern, we were fine with not making any money off that first show. Yeah. Um, and then Alex Shane tried to get his claws into it. Of course he did. There's a reason this man's made a living off wrestling for the last 25 years. Stolen a living. Um... <laughs> And yeah, he he asked us if we'd be interested in hosting uh, title matches for the BWC, the British Wrestling Council, yep. Scarlo Scholarship belt. Yeah, we were very happy to oblige, and my thanks go to him for giving us that little bit of opportunity. Um, so I think we had a three-way to crown the first champion on the first show. Xander Cooper, Zach Gibson, and Daryl Allen. Okay. I insisted on Daryl Allen being in that match. I think I think Alex just wanted to be Gibson and Cooper. Okay. Um, then the very next week, we had a showcase match on. With Rest Fest. Yeah, something I can't remember what it was called. I'm afraid it was the Coronet in Irvine Castle. I wasn't there, but yeah, and I remember this. we had a four-way ladder match, which was Mandrews, Ball, Sam Bailey. <coughs> And I guess Sander, yeah. I would think. Uh, and then the show after that. And we did an angle in the interval. I remember this. We did an angle in the interval to set up Andrews and Cooper on the next show. Anyway, that's what happened with that belt. And then it, I know, it's at the bottom of the sea or something, I guess. Um, I certainly, I don't think I even ever saw that belt apart from when it was as part of a show yeah um yeah so who was the last person to hold it was it Mark I couldn't tell you who the last person to hold it was I don't know it's been defended anywhere else but the last person to hold it at your place would be Mark right did he beat he beat Cooper for it and he retained it against Cooper I think he must have I reckon he's still got it <laughs> I reckon he still has it that boy that boy's in a order it's just on the wall probably is um, so yeah so that's we are jumping a little bit around in the chronology that's actually fine um, so yeah, we had a venue booked we had a very I guess like you were saying at the time it was quite a unusual social media approach but very basic really if you compare it to what we and loads of other people do now yeah um, sold that show out the day before I wanted to run monthly Helena, my wife, talked me out of it. And she's like, are you mental? What is wrong with you? <laughs> this is the gambler in me coming out. I'm, like, I'm just trying to back myself. And she was absolutely right. I wanted to run monthly. She's like, just do it every three months. Is that how it's every three? Yeah. 
and then so the, the next show sold out super quick not like record time I mean record time obviously because we'd only done one show but not compared to later but it sold out relatively quick I guess I guess it sold out in a week yeah and then the next one sold out in a week again and then we started going every two months from that point uh, yeah those were the early garage days any big problems you can remember I mean the first big problem that we encountered I think was that there was a date clash at the garage with Fozzy <laughs> of, it, all, of all the bands but it was the point it was the show where we moved from every three months to every two months so oh. we had uh, March July or June March June September booked and then we would have had something in December or maybe early January and then we moved it to the end of November okay and the garage told me initially that they could do it and then realised that they double booked it with Fozzy oh, shit so even then Chris Jericho was showing up ruining um, so that's when I first found the Dome we ran that fourth show at the Dome oh really yeah see I didn't know this and then Liggs and uh, Nathan Cruz had a full scout anywhere match or was it just no DQ I can't remember uh, but they went all over the venue title change title change so that, that, that place has had the Progress Wrestling title change? The first ever. And, and the, it would have been the first ever Progress title change in, the, in that building, in Progress's debut in that building. Mm-hmm. And then attacked it, their debut there, and the title change hands also. Mm-hmm. I love that little bit of history. Yep. I like that, that's good. I like that. Yeah. That's good. And that show was called The Ballad of El Nogueiro. I remember that. Yeah, I remember it being called that. Started going off on the weird show names. Which I like. Yeah. Which again made you different. Yeah. And then some people have tried to kind of jump on that bandwagon, but not, not quite got it right. <laughs> how come? <laughs> how come you guys didn't get a belt? How come you had the staff? Because that's a question I've never asked. Who would you ask? Yeah, apart, from you, apart from you, yeah. Um, I guess we wanted to it ties back into that early social media approach, where you wanted to create that community feel but approach it from a different angle you know so you make it tribal oh. and it's meant to be a, a sort of a tribal staff like a chieftain would yeah. would have yeah. with a with a fucking eagle on the top yeah. of it um, it was taken differently <laughs> yes, I, yes we all know what anyone as a fan will know how mm. it was taken um, but that was the thinking behind it it wasn't. It genuinely wasn't so much to be, oh, different, and oh, look at us. Yeah. It was more. It's more like a statement, kind of thing about how we saw progress and the stuff around it as being, and then you obviously the leader of your tribe is your champion. Yeah, that's quite good. I like that. That's, that's a very different approach. So you run in the garage. How many? Sh- um, you would have run it for about a year. Just over, just over a year? Maybe two years. You, two years? Yeah. Show one to show 13. Yeah, 13. No, 11. Sorry. You did, that's right, because I came in to show... You came to show 11, I think. No, I didn't get... You did... When was the first time you did the, the ballroom? Uh, 12. Did 12. I, came in, I did come in at 11, you are right. Yeah. Um, and they did 12. Yeah, right. So you ran it consistently for two years? Yes, every two months. 
where did it get to the point where you went right we need to go bigger honestly <laughs> about a year in so March 2013 we were like we were, so we were selling these shows out in 20 minutes and it was only quote unquote 350 tickets yeah but they were still they were selling out in 20 minutes and we were like and me and Jim kind of resisted it for a bit and actually it was Glenn who would come on board uh, after between show two and show three and we just sort of got on the phone and sat down or however we were dealing with it then and we're just like this is stupid yeah <laughs> why are we not moving to a bigger venue when the demand is clearly there for it so then we tried to find a venue asked for recommendations which we often do you do yeah which I which I, I think it's great even now we do it it's if you're, if you're, here's the thing, slight aside. If you're someone who tweets progress saying, hey, why don't you come to Cardiff or Nottingham or whatever, tell us which venue we should go to. Cardiff's impossible. Isn't so that then? There's, there's a reason. There's a reason why we are still in that bingo hall. We've done walkabouts and walkabouts great, mm-hmm. but you can't sit down there. Right. And it's great when you have the pit views, but we there's a reason why we're still in that we love the bingo hall of course, of course. And, we, and we're very lucky that it's that, exp- that they randomly opened the other room which allowed us to up capacity but yeah there's we wanted to run big events and there isn't places in Cardiff there's, 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 there's the tram shed which I know ICW and Rev Pro have won but it's not big enough for us no it isn't I don't mean to, I don't mean that to sound big headed but it's not it's just realistic Maybe first year it would have been, but it's, it's, yeah, not, right. yeah, it's not that good. And then there's the Great Hall at the uni, and they don't do any shows that have seats. No. I found that out last week. Yeah, we never do. We never looked at that. But so, that's because I've been to that yeah. hall, so I kind of already yeah. assumed that was the case. Anyway, so we got sidetracked. No, that's um, absolutely fine. What were we talking about? We were talking about how uh, Glenn came on, and Glenn was like, right, we need to... Yeah, I, I don't want people to get the impression that Glenn is all business. <laughs> But Glenn is all business. <laughs> no, like having a fresh pair of eyes on it. Like probably me and Jim would have happily trundled on for another two years, just selling every show out in twenty minutes. Because at that point it was a hobby. Like I wasn't doing comedy anymore, but it was definitely a hobby for Jim, and a bit of a release from the drudgery of stand-up. Yeah. Um, and I had what was I doing? I wonder if I had my got my job at the Guardian by then. I worked at the Guardian. So I so when I gave up comedy, I gave up comedy in uh, my last Edinburgh festival was two thousand and thirteen. I remember being on the phone the June of that year. That's where we got to um, to all the acts telling them I was going to stop, and I held it together for almost all the conversations, apart from when I called Jim. I just broke down into his. Because how close you become? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, I think he was the only one that I was working with, the only comedian that I was working with that I felt I could be that kind of emotional yeah. with. Because he was your friend. He was, he was just a, right. he was, yeah. And at that point, my business partner as well. Yeah. Um, in, in progress. Uh, so yeah, last time professor was 2013. I bummed around a bit because I 
had enough money saved where I didn't need to find another job. I tried to do progress full time for two or three months. There just wasn't enough money in it. Yeah. Um, so I then got various silly little jobs. I was a dodgeball referee. I love it. We've had a conversation. Please, let's list these off. This is great. Yeah. Dodgeball ref. I was... Uh, I applied for jobs like van driving. <coughs> uh, I was doing occasional kind of relief shifts at The Guardian, the newspaper, which isn't far from where I live. And then a vacancy came up at The Guardian for a full-time night moderator. Yeah. Um, so what I was doing was comment moderation. So, yeah, there's a system and it feeds you the comments that are being left on the website. I can only imagine. Some, some really bad stuff. I can only um, imagine. But my job, when I, when I got this full-time job, was to sit there for eight hours a night, from 11 at night till 7 in the morning, clicking yes or no on comments. So I was doing that four nights a week. That counted as a full-time job because of the night. It was like night waiting, by which I mean W-E-I-G-H-T, whereby one full shift counted as one and a quarter full shifts. Okay. But compared to a day job. So full-time job was four nights a week. Uh, it took you the other three to kind of recover. Recover. And then I was running progress, 16 hours. Not, no, no, that can't be wrong. Um, I guess 10 to 12 hours a day at the same time so like 4 hours sleeping like, was not was the norm so going to bed at 7 getting up at 10 maybe 11 working through the day working up to the point where I started my Guardian job I remember in conversations with you at this point I remember you saying because you would have got messages from me in the middle of the night because yeah, I was yeah. just up yeah and then you'd be like okay like I said, I think we were, I think I was pitching something at some point. And you were like, "Cool, I'll be awake at this time." And I remember thinking, "Like, you sent me a message at this time. How is how is this possible?" Mm-hmm. And I did. I did the two, did the night moderation and progress for two and a half years. On four, pretty much four hours sleep. Yeah. How? Necessity, I guess. Until I got to a point where. I knew that I would have enough money coming in from progress. Yeah. So it could be absolutely kind of cast iron solid, unless something awful happened. Awful happened. Um, so that's when I jacked the night job in, and I've been full-time progress ever since, and I would love to be able to remember when that is. When are we? October. Must be getting up for three years, I guess. Three, two or three years completely full-time. Can't exactly remember who I wanted. Would you have been full swing in the ballroom at this point? Yeah. You would have been? Yeah. Well, let's talk about that first. Like, you decided you you were going to expand, go to the ballroom. Was the ballroom always the top choice, or was there loads of other places you were looking no, at? No, the ballroom was always the top choice. Music venue, central, uh, amazing atmosphere. As soon as we walked in, I was like, yes. I just needed to map out how many people we could fit in. Comfortably, yeah. Yeah. Or, or uncomfortable. Or uncomfortable well, is. Depending on your uh, viewpoint. It's true. Um, but yeah, the ballroom was always the number one choice. And once we'd done a deal, you know, going in, however many times a year we were going in, I think it was still bi monthly at that point. Were you, were, were you 
at the first one we're going to do this one-off show or we no, right? no. we are going to no I'm pretty sure that I had I kept the garage dates held and I had the electric ballroom dates held until the point where we sold the ballroom out I think and that's when I confirmed one and let the other go yeah um and we were like okay this this will work I remember that opening segment and we spoke a little bit about this before I turned it on and that opening segment where the lights come on and you've got Jim Jim's in the middle with a lighter yep Glenn is doing something like just leaning on his shoulder yeah and I've got an owl's head mask or like a rubber owl's head yep yep and I knew at this point I'd I'd met you and I'd started running shows but I remember when I when I met you so I remember being told I think I met you before says so coming out, coming out of the training or whatever and but I didn't know I didn't know you existed it was it was in my head it was just it was just Jim I think for I, a lot of people that's yeah the case. but why why was that why why when that's the biggest the biggest show you've done you got all three of you in the ring you were still kind of anonymous mm-hmm. for a while there must be a reason behind that well I'm not an attention seeker for a start. I'm not saying the other two are, but one's a comedian and one's an actor. Me, I'm a wrestler. So you're preaching <laughs> to the choir. Yeah. Um, I'm just not wired that way. Yeah, I'm not very good at even taking compliments or uh, acclaim. Uh, yeah, that was it, really. Like, I, I don't like appearing on camera. This is the first one of these I've ever done. Yeah, yeah which I was very grateful when you said yes. I was like, oh, great. Um, I just don't think people would be that interested in what I have to say to be honest I've, I'm loving it so far uh, but yeah so I still don't really appear on camera ever I would occasionally my voice will crop up in things although rarely progress related yeah like I've done Jim's Tuesday Night Jewel where I've been on doing round tapes yeah you have yeah uh, but nothing no one ever really hears or sees me in progress land Apart from when I was in the sound booth at the ballroom, just pissing about the gym, yeah. making him laugh, playing music over the top of him. That sort of thing. It just comes from the fact that you never really wanted to be... I don't want to be front and centre. You don't want to be the, in the spotlight. You don't want to be there. No. And the, I think the point is that most businesses, certainly ones in entertainment, you need someone to be the face of the company someone to be front and centre that that people can identify with that company yeah. and then you need someone else making sure that the cogs are running and it's very hard to be both of those things yeah I understand agree I understand agree yeah and just you know my whole professional life has been making sure the cogs are running for other people uh, comedy promotion uh Moderating. Moderating. Dodgeball ref. <laughs> Which is the best thing ever, by the way. It's, it's a real job. It's an actual real paid job. Didn't take long to get trained. Yeah. <laughs> so, we're now at the ballroom. We're now running regularly. Yep. Um, things are going pretty darn well. Mm-hmm. Like, that's one of the biggest things I think that helped you guys well, that that hard can messed up on 13 and... The best thing. The best thing that could happen to you because... You were you were you were big. I uh, I remember that, like I was itching to see stuff and and Mark and I went. I'd watch it. Mark would show me DVDs and stuff like that. But when that 
happened and mm-hmm. gave it away and I remember just seeing the YouTube views going up and up and up and up and up I don't know how many views that show has had I don't now. know but um, yeah it was the best worst thing that could have possibly happened because suddenly anyone could see it and <coughs> anyone who saw it pretty much wanted to be there wanted to wrestle there wanted to wrestle there to be in the, in the audience they were in. Yeah. One of the best things. Yeah. And then quickly, surely, the ballroom started to sound up pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Right. That's fine. I like asking questions when you're taking big bites. It's one of, one of the things the girlfriend says I'm really bad at. <laughs> um, yeah, the, so the ballroom started selling out in 20 minutes. I think our record sellout was six minutes. Oh my God. Three minutes even, maybe. Um, and we were using PayPal at that point to sell tickets so you were having to set up inventory and stuff like that and we had a real issue with overselling because PayPal just couldn't cope with the demand basically Uh, which is when we switched over to Ticketover which is what we use now which is much better Um, but yeah it was a runaway train of good vibes and then at this point, then you would have. I'm trying to know. Then, well, actually, I think I'm trying to think of my timeline with you guys sure. and, and how it leads up. And my timeline from here would be, of course, it started salivating. We got Brixton, but I think before we go there, I think uh, you kind of need to look at you hosting the at the time it would have been called the Global Cruiserweight series. Series, yeah, Cruiserweight Classic. Classic then. Yeah. So. Can you remember how how that came about? Um, truthfully, I didn't have an awful lot to do with it. It came about, came about through Jim's relationship with William Regal. Okay. Um, Jim asked me if we had space on the card to host these two matches. I asked who was in it. We you know, batted it back and forth. Um, and we just made space. I think that might have been the first time we'd done an eight-match card, to be honest. Possibly. <laughs> I don't know, I wasn't there for the rest of the cards, so I, I, don't, I don't know. But, yeah. yeah. Um, so we did those. That got an awful lot of eyes on us. It did. Uh, people in America at that point are going, who are these British people that, w, that are doing a WWE match? And, now and it was, the, that, was the, what, that was the phrasing as well. It was like, how are they doing a WWE? Not how are they working with WWE, but how is this ha- happening? How is this independent yeah. of the WWE YouTube channel? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Along, so that was most of the comments, along with why is the ring so small? Um, why are the crowd making lots of noise? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's also one. Uh, <coughs> man, what are they chanting? Stop chanting, it's annoying. I can't watch the wrestling. Go away. Um... So yeah, that got us lots of eyes. The matches, obviously, were stellar. Um, I don't remember. What year would it have been? It was two, I can tell you right now, it was 2016. Thank you. Um, yeah, they got us a lot more eyes. And that was the start of the working relationship with WWE. Well, a lot more eyes. And then, would you have already, at this point, figured out that you were going to Brixton? Uh, that must have been March or April 2016, right? 
No, it wouldn't. Uh, Brixton was... No, the Cruiserweight Classic. Uh, Cruiserweight Classic was... was the summer of that season, It I was, think, yeah. I'll give you an exact thing. No, it happened beginning of April 2016. Right. Uh, because, yeah, I was supposed to be at the walkabout show and I was and wasn't. So... So those matches must have happened either end of March or end of April. Yeah. It, was, so, it would have been beginning of April, end of March, that year. I think Brixton must have been announced by then. I don't think it'd been Because announced. I think we announced it in January. Because I remember doing... Alan did a, an announce video for it. I don't remember it's here. With all the like, logos of the bands that performed at Brixton Academy all flashing up. I remember that. And we, we teased announcing it on New Year's Eve, maybe? Okay. And I don't think we managed to do it. Maybe we did. Someone will probably correct me. Yeah, probably will. Um, so maybe we announced it on 1st of January. Uh, that year I think that, knowing the way my brain works <coughs> I would probably have wanted to start a year with an announcement like with that an announcement yeah so it would have been announced and tickets would have been on sale or maybe tickets weren't quite on sale then I don't think they were on sale but certainly the show had been announced I, I can't remember this yeah. but yeah, I'm pretty sure so and was that just again because demand you just went well. no <laughs> absolutely not um, that was us Coming back to the theme of before, me and us, then so me expanded to us, betting on ourselves, just to see if we could do this venue. Yeah, how many do you hold? Two thousand four hundred. Which is a huge jump considering you were doing seven hundred. Yeah, huge. Maybe four times. Did you did you always plan to do that jump, or was it just because venues became? harder to find well the problem is is that there are in London and I mean around the country but especially in London there are barely any venues between the 7-800 capacity and like 5,000 yeah um, there just aren't many and there, there are people about to tweet me telling me a load of venues <laughs> that are suitable just don't I've looked at them all there's, uh, there's reasons why there's reasons why we haven't yeah. done them um so yeah, so it was, there was no option to go up gradually, which we could have done at that point. I think we felt like we, we could have found like a thousand, twelve hundred seat. Yeah. We could have done that every month. I'm, I'm pretty sure we could sell a thousand in Camden every month now. Yeah, I think you could. But there's no venue. Yeah, you can't do it. Um, so it was like, oh, fuck it. <laughs> Let's try it. Let's do Brixton. Let's do Brixton. It's historic. You're right, by the way. I'm good, I'm fine. Yeah. Unless you're fine. Um, yeah, so then that rolled around and that had that was obviously loads of fun, but had problems, uh, especially in the way that the venue was laid out. I, We were working with a promoter for the first time. Um, that is an experience that I'm not massively keen to repeat. Yeah. Uh, but we you know we got there and we got set up and the ring was a lot further certainly the ring was a lot further into the auditorium than the venue wanted it to be although you know we we had it pushed as far into the middle as we could Could. without sacrificing sight lines um, from the balcony it was for me it was a lot closer to the stage than I thought it was going to be okay 
So you get there and you realise that once you've got the drape down and the screen and the entrance work, <coughs> you've got three rows between the, 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 the curtain and the ring. You're basically playing to a wafer-shaped venue then. Wait, like a fan-shaped venue? Yeah, of course. Like a, uh, the best way to describe it is when uh, All Star do the, the stage shows. That's the best way yeah, to describe it. Yeah, that's by far the best way to describe yeah. it, except the ring is on the level, the same level as the crowd. Yeah, not above them. Yeah. Um, and we had some complaints obviously from people that were a long way away yeah. from the ring um, and couldn't really see it and they ended up watching most of the show on the screen thank god for the screen so we did that show we had obviously there were issues with injuries and stuff in it as well yeah unfortunately and I learned an awful lot from that and we, we all agreed that we wouldn't do Brixton again. Like, Brixton wanted us to come back monthly. <sighs> oh, my God. Yeah. So not to the same capacity. Like, they, was, they were like, we'll close the balcony off. And we'll just have the, the ring in the middle. Which, again, would have been absolutely fantastic if the shape of the building worked. Well, they were saying you could have the ring... So the way that Brixton... Brixton Academy has a sloped floor. Yes. And they put in a flat floor. They have one out the back, which they could put in panel by panel so that it's flat from front to back, more or less. And they were like, oh, come in, you can put the ring on the flat floor in the middle. And then, so we were like, okay, that might work. And then the ring was too heavy to go on the temporary flooring. It just wouldn't take the weight of the ring. It would just break the floor. Oh, the risk was there that it might break the floor. floor. So it would have had to stay on the stage, so actually it wouldn't have solved any any, any of the problems at all. Mm. If it had, maybe we'd have been doing Brixton Academy every month. What that capacity would have been then? I guess about 1500. Yeah, right, which is the middle ground you would have wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, weird how things work out, isn't it? Isn't it? So you decide that we can't can't run there. And were you kind of, have you done Brixton and thought, oh, we're happy with that? We we took a gamble, it paid off. We'll stay at the the ballroom now. Yeah, we're not going to do it. We've been happy at the ballroom. From that point, yeah, just doing our seven hundred every month, selling out really quickly. Happy days, and then you kind of get the itch. Yeah, you want to see if you can do the bigger show and crack it, and do it better, and do it better, make it a better show in a better venue and a better fan experience. And we'd been to see Alexandra Palace before agreeing Brixton. Fun fact. Wembley had already approached us at this by, point by this before Brixton oh really yeah yeah they they came to us before Brixton they heard the buzz I guess yeah yeah which is mental because it never would have like right. well, who knows it, would, no, would, yeah. it absolutely <laughs> wouldn't um but we're like we can't do Wembley we're just not big enough um but we decided to give Alexandria Palace a, a crack. And again, there were things that went well with that show and things that we could have done better. We did them better for Super Strong Style <coughs> when we went back uh, this year. But Ali Pali was a much nicer experience, I think. Yes, much. it was. For everyone. Yeah. Were you, are you a big darts fan? No. You're not? No. 
Even though that show was called Chase the Sun. She cracked Alexander Pius. I think it was, it was it was absolutely cracking. I remember the uh, the online stuff as well, which again some people they will they will find a complaint regardless, but the majority of everything I saw online was very, very positive and it was I know, it was, but it was it was a great experience. Uh, backstage and and out there as well. But it was how many was that was that more or less than Brixton? It was less than it was Brixton. less. It was less than Brixton. Oh it was two thousand. Two thousand. But we that was sold out seven weeks in advance. Even when we'd added some extra seats to it. Yeah. Um so that was sold out way in advance. So we knew that we could I mean, I think probably at that point we started thinking about maybe doing Super Strong Style there. Okay. Because. Yeah, because, because you, yeah. you, could, you could, of course. But you knew that you couldn't run there. Monthly. Or bi-monthly or whatever. Yeah. There's no way. No. The, the thing that I think the thing that people don't realise is that when you're hiring venues, say you hire a venue, it holds... 500 and it costs you 500 pounds yeah you then hire a venue for a thousand but it doesn't cost you a thousand pounds it costs you two thousand pounds yeah it's an exponential price rise the bigger you get you hire a venue that seats two thousand and it will cost you five thousand pounds got you so it just continues to go up now i guess it's a bit the same the only way i can think about it would be uh when you order t-shirts mm-hmm. you get them printed if you if you back yourself on a on a, yeah. I think this design's great. You save on the unit and you, price, and you buy and you buy lots. You uh, you save on the unit price, but also you're spending more money. Yes. So you need to then sell more t-shirts to break even. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah the the, the cost but the way in wherever is great, but then if you don't sell the t-shirts, yeah. you get screwed. So it would be that sort of thing. Yeah. I do genuinely think people don't realise that about venue hire. Uh, I I've never had to do it so. Something to bear in mind. Yeah, we've we've probably jumped the first little bit about this, but um, definitely, I think we definitely have. But when did going to America and doing doing WrestleMania come about? When I think it came, it came right. So it came about. Uh, my understanding was when I was injured. Can I remember having a phone call, and we were talking about it, and it was like. It was it was it was Glenn. He was talking about it. And he said, "Just give you something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Just want to do it." Unfortunately for me, um, my wait list on the surgery and then the rehab itself took way longer than expected. So I think I got cleared with like a week to go. A week to go. Something yeah. I guess it was never going to happen. I don't even think. Uh, I don't think it was cleared. I, de- I don't think it was because I think I I didn't wrestle. I don't think I wrestled at that one. I think I might have. I think I'm. Did I? No, I think I'm, I, I did. I got cleared with about three weeks to go, I think. So it was never going to be able to. No. I was untested as well, so I could have just gone up there and rebroke everything. But how did how did that come about? Um, so the, the wheels were set in motion a, a year before yeah. when Glenn uh, met up with Gabe Sapolsky, yeah. who is the uh, head creative person at Evolve now, a former Ring of Honor yeah. booker, writer... Also worked at ECW for a brief yes. stint as well, under Paul Heyman. Yeah, Protégé of Paul Heyman. Yeah. So Glenn met up with him at Mania the year before, 
I think you remember what year it was. I'm so bad with you. Ah, uh, year before. But again, would have been 2016. So I, I think, think it would have been Dallas. Uh, I don't know, but 2016. Right. Um, did we only, really only do WrestleMania in 2017? Are you did it in 2000... No. Yeah. I came back, yeah, you did, because yeah, right. I came back in 2017. Yeah. Um, so he would have met Gabe at Mania Weekend 2016. They started a conversation. And then... Gabe runs these venues for the WWF family. Runs this venue every many a weekend, with various shows all taking all taking place. He offered offered us a slot and said we could have whatever slot we wanted, and was then going within reason, and then was baffled when I said I wanted the twelve noon slot on a Friday. <laughs> why was he Why was he baffled by that? I don't know because he thought no one would sell any tickets. He didn't think anyone would buy tickets to why see did you, Why did you ask for 12 noon? Because it was live streaming, and that's 5 o'clock in the UK. Ah, so Progress, once again, being loyal to the British fan base, fantastic. Yeah. Um, and we sold 1,500 tickets, 1,600 tickets, something like that, for that show in Orlando. It was meant to, It was great, you know. It was... So much fun. The American fans are really different. Yep. No better, no worse. Just different. different. Yeah, definitely. Uh, as you will attest, having toured with us yep. this summer. Um, so yeah, that's that's how that came about. And then obviously our eyes were opened to the possibility of doing shows in America. And we went back and did New York and Boston later that year as well. Yeah. Can you remember just your thought process of when you went out there and saw all these tickets? thinking we started you in this little nightclub in London mm -hmm. with an idea that this probably isn't going to work and now you're doing a nearly a sold out show we never forget it I think that's really something to to ram home I know Progress is doing really well I'm not stupid <laughs> um, it's my full time job and has been for two years or two and a half or whatever it is um, maybe three Time blurs, um, and we sold we sold every ticket for every chapter show that we've ever put on sale. Yeah. So I know the progress is doing well, but to us, we are still that company that started, and you know, started in front of three hundred and fifty people at the garage. And as far as I'm concerned, we still have that same approach. You know, we still do everything. Yeah. We don't we don't have any employees. We have people on freelance who do stuff for us, but the, I, I'm not even an employee of my own company. No, there is no one on payroll. So, but why, why, is, why is that? Jeez. Because, um. <laughs> I've, 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 I've had a conversation with people before and gone like, you do, you do so much work for progress, so much work. And especially over the last six months, I've gone. John deserves a rest. <laughs> I'd love a rest. But like, why is it financially feasible for you to to employ more people? Um, potentially, we could we could employ one or two, or one full time probably. Yeah. Um, 
The way that it, the way the way it would have to work would be I would have to delegate some stuff, and if I delegate, say I delegated video editing, I edit in a particular way. Way, it would take me a long time to teach someone why I edit like that, not how to do it, but why I. I do it like that. Okay. Uh, the edit is as much a part of the storytelling as what's happening in the ring. You can you can enhance stories in the the shots that you choose. Okay. Um, and I'm sure that is teachable, <laughs> but I I don't think I'm a great teacher. First of all, and secondly, I just think it would take me so long to teach someone to do it that you could just edit. The I should do it myself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I could potentially employ like an office manager to book travel or do bookkeeping. But honestly, that doesn't take up a huge amount of my time. <laughs> like, there isn't one thing that takes up a, ma- a big percentage of my time. It's all the little It's all the little things. Jobs. Like, uh, Adam, social Adam, does a lot of our social media stuff now because that is one thing that I don't have time to do so he's, so, he's not even just on progress days he does it he does it yeah he's on return he's, okay. he does it a lot okay um, because that's his job that's yeah. his yeah. profession and I am by my own admission not great at it um, got better but uh, I have days when I can be snappy fighty <coughs> So you ran, at this point, you ran Alexander Palace. You've decided that you want to do the the, uh, the three days for British Strong Style. No, two for Strong Style. Two for Strong Style. You need two for... Three days for Super Strong Style, not British Strong Style. What did I just say? Apologies. That's <laughs> all right. We are recording this. I think it must be about half past 12. Quarter uh, past 12. Um, so, yeah, you did three... You, you booked in three nights yep. for Super Strong Style. You just, you got up and did America. Uh, there's rumblings that you're going to do an American tour. Mm-hmm. We then, of course, do, uh, we do the Super Strong Style weekend. And on that weekend, it's announced that you guys are going to do Wembley. Yes. They approach you again, or did you, or did they only approach you once and then you decided to bite? They, not bite well, but say, Let's when they this. approached us, the first time it was very much with a when it, when it was left it was left in the way that when you guys are ready get back in touch and when we got back in touch the woman who initially reached out to us had gone <laughs> it's the you know it's two years later it's, of course uh, but the person who 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 was in her position was very happy to to meet and talk and so I went and did that met with him threshed out the deal and yeah we actually only put the deposit down on Wembley and got the contract back to the venue where we announced it on the Monday for Super Strong Style 5 o'clock on the Friday night oh really yeah so if that hadn't been finalised you couldn't have announced it announced it no I mean we would have done all the paperwork and contract on the Tuesday yeah. after the bank holiday and we could have announced it 
but it would have been so silly. Yeah, not to announce it. At no, no, it would have been silly to announce it, and then it's had something gone wrong. Yeah, and it would have. Oh my god, can you imagine? Yeah, I can imagine. That's why we didn't. Yeah, you were afraid when done. That's why I was doing bank transfers at five o'clock on a Friday evening. Going, are we all right to announce this? Before we before we get into the build up and start talking about whether we should go, of course, um, mm-hmm. you'd you'd done America, you went and did Australia, mm-hmm. you've done Germany. Um, am I missing any? Any country you're not? Um, mm-hmm. A couple of joint shows with Smash Wrestling in, in Canada. Canada, of course. Each time these came about, was it just a moment of blumenek? We're now going here, or was it as was it kind of like planned? Right, that's that starts to take over the world. Um, no, I don't think you can plan to take over the world unless you're uh, Elon Musk. Or Pinky in the Brain. Good. I think that little exchange might have just summed me in Flash. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, no, you, certainly the th- thought was there. So I can't speak for the other two. But certainly in my head, the thought was there that if we are going to do more shows, we'll do them overseas. Because we, we do enough in the UK. Okay. And like, we've done the same amount of shows in the UK now for the last three three years, I guess, since we started going out of London. Yeah. We haven't mass- drastically... It doesn't feel like we've drastically in- increased the schedule. Um, maybe added one here and there. Um, but no, the thought was always there in my head that if we were going to do that, we would add... Then why not go and do... Of course. Overseas. And the opportunities were there. So, why not? <laughs> basically. Yeah, basically you just thought, why not if we've got the opportunity to place it wants to work with us? Well, if you, you've got the opportunity to do Brixton Academy, why not? You've got the opportunity to do Alexandra Palace or Orlando or the 1,500 people in New York. <coughs> why not? Opportunity arises. Opportunity, don't die wondering. Just do it. And if it goes to shit, it goes to shit. Spot on. Yeah. As you said, when it comes to backing yourself, yeah. take a gamble, take a risk. It's about, like, it's about knowing that you're good at what you do, I think. There's, there has to be an element of it's that. Calculated risk, isn't it? It's, yeah. yeah. I'm an inherent gambler. But I do the research. <laughs> you cut the cards. <laughs> well, I don't cut the cards, uh, but I will study the form. Uh, well, I it's <laughs> good. So this build up to uh, Wembley, uh, well, again, anything we hit on this that you don't want to talk, about, we we can mm-hmm. we can slide over, of course. But yeah. you've been a very own book. I'll say that it got announced, lots of buzz, lots of interest, people interested in doing it, and uh, a card in mind that you were you were going to run, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, lots of little things cropped up along the way. Mm-hmm. Which changed the cards. Yes. How so, stressful. <laughs> how stressful? Um. That's the most high-pitched um I've ever heard from you, John Brown. I think, I think stressful is the right word. Okay. Um, well, I think the, th- the three of us would agree that we're probably at our best when our backs are against the wall. Okay. When we have to book our way out of a corner, whether that corner has been created by us or not. Um... On this occasion, it wasn't created by us. So when we had Sabre winning Super Strong Style, he was booked 
for Wembley. Yeah. Where we had Osprey come out to reignite the Havoc feud at that same weekend. Osprey was booked for Wembley. Yeah. Um, and then, because of contractual commitments, they both got pulled from it. Which couldn't be helped. Can't be helped. It's not their fault. It's not our fault. It's not even New Japan's fault. They're just doing what they say they can do in their contract. And that's life. Exactly. There's no point getting hot. If it was the other way around and you guys had contracted wrestlers and you decided that you were going to run this date on this one and they were under contract, yeah. then of course the same thing would happen. Yes. I mean, we're not in a position where we can contract I know people, that. sadly. Um, but yeah, I think if, if we were in New Japan's position and we decided that we were going to run a show on this date... Like what? Being brutally honest about it, why should they care? Yeah, they're looking after their product. They're <laughs> looking after yeah. the guys that they pay right. to enhance their product. Of course, those guys are on contracts, so that they don't have to work anywhere else. How? Any any indie dates they do are on top of their contract. Yeah, of course, and obviously they get they get uh, not first refusal. What's the word? Priority. Yeah, priority. How? How? quickly and easy did the idea for the replacements come um, so Osprey was the one who got pulled off pulled off the show first I don't think we had <coughs> a firm plan for, certainly for a couple of weeks um, because it's difficult because it's not just it wasn't a title it was a it was a, a marquee match that had story yeah. behind it so it's not as simple as we'll, we'll crown them and you no one contender correct um, and then we came up with a solution checked with all parties involved um, everyone was up for it and in the end we ended up doing the final Havoc versus Osprey match in the ballroom you did which again probably was the right in place hindsight for it, it was the best thing that could have happened the right place for it to be yeah completely because they just went 40 odd minutes I mean there is that yeah but 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 again that's something that the progress fans talk about they wouldn't have they wouldn't have been able to do that at Wembley they wouldn't have mm-hmm. so the match that they imagine got, how late the show would have finished of course of course <laughs> yeah um, so yeah I'm really glad that match happened at the ballroom and I thought the creative way that we got the, the way that we got Paul into that situation like we've been sowing seeds for it for a while yeah um yeah I was <coughs> really really happy with it and then Sabre told us in July that he wasn't going to be able to do that show and that's when we were like okay <laughs> how are we, what are we going to do here yeah um, and that's where the three and in thing came from, which wouldn't have been possible if we didn't have the American tour. Yeah, that was a, just a lovely coincidence that allowed us to run this series. For anyone that doesn't know, the three and in was basically you have to win three singles matches in a row, mm-hmm. and if you don't, you kind of go back to zero, like snakes and ladders. Yeah. And if you win three in a row, you go into the main event at Wembley Arena, and that's, that could have been one person, it could have been three people. Could have been eight people. Could have been eight people, yeah. 
Maybe. The bus doesn't work. Carmen is going to probably tweet at some point and tell us. Um, and it was me that worked that series out. Yeah. Um, sent it to Jim and Van. They're like, what do you think? Can it make sense? We get really good batches out of it. And we end up with the main event that we have. I know some of the I know some of the fans, uh, the British fans were they complained of course because the three name wasn't involved uh, in the UK. Again, if even if those shows weren't happening they wouldn't have been in the UK, so right. because it wouldn't have existed. But I remember Don't come here with your logic. I I remember thinking it's I remember thinking when I saw these complaints about it, that regardless of that, they were going to get the the final, they were going to get, when I saw it all pan out, it was like, you're going to get the final, you're going to get the solution in London. Mm-hmm. London is going to be where everything clicks into place. Yeah, yeah. The, the end of August yeah. show. With the jeopardy of, it could be one person, it could be two people both going through. I'm sure, you know, maybe progress have had to hotshot this have a gun spray thing to make it happen so is it obvious that Havoc is going into the main yeah all that kind of thing of course when they were going, well, wait, you, you kill two birds with one stone if you pop that in so that's quite a clever book mm-hmm. thanks <laughs> uh, so Wembley yes how do you uh, how do you feel Wembley went well, we're two weeks on now. We are. I don't... Honestly, I don't think it could have gone any better. It's the truthful answer. I know we overran a bit. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I could tell you why it happened. It happened because we lost our live feed to the screen right at the end of the interval. So that was delayed by ten minutes while we fixed it. Ah, right. Yeah. That was, that was the reason the interval was longer than it was meant to be. We were we were ready to go after twenty minutes of an interval, which is what we'd allowed, and then we had to delay by ten minutes. And then of course that delay. And the delay is everything. And then we added the Travis Banks promo pretty late on, um, so that added ten minutes. And then one of the matches went ten minutes heavy. Hiya. <laughs> oh yeah, it was yours. Yeah, it was yours. Um, and then another match went five heavy. And then we could have taken the hype videos out, but why? Yeah. <laughs> like I understand the anger about some people missing the main event because they had to go, but why? Like, take a step back from your own situation. Why should I ruin the show for 95% of the audience? Be- because you have to leave. And I'm sorry if that sounds harsh. But you 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 made a decision yeah. based on, uh, and I'm not a Star Trek fan, so apologies. I'm using this quote. I have um, no idea what you're about to say. It's, is correct or not. Uh, I hope I get this right. So you can call me up on this. The needs of the many of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Correct. And of course, as a, as a lovely gesture as well, you did then turn and say that the main event was going on. On on doing my progress for free, yeah, and still is up there for free. Yeah, as a ge- as a gesture, say, well, if you missed it, apologies. Well, it's an actual it's an actual apology. Yeah. It's you know we messed this up. First time we've run this arena, or a big show like this. Yes. A little cumulative overruns from halfway onwards 
meant that meant that we overran the show by. I think he was. People are saying it was an hour. It was, absolutely was not an hour. I think it was thirty-five, forty minutes. Right. I think, I think we. I think we came down at ten past <coughs> eight, and I think the main event finished at five, five minutes past nine, maybe. So. Um. So yeah, we we messed it up. Hands hands up. We discussed whether to pull things to try and bring it back on time. But the truth of it is, even if we pulled the hype videos, we still wouldn't have been done at 8.30. No, no. So you, you then make a decision. So you, you run with the show as you have it planned. Yeah. You don't try and mitigate the, the overrun by ruining the experience. In our opinion, that was a decision we made at the time. You made And I'll stick by it. I am sticking by it. <laughs> so overall... Overall, couldn't be happier. No, genuinely. Like, uh, everyone knocked it out of the park. Um, I think we, we've got some new stars camp coming out of it. Dragunov. Yeah. Uh, certainly. Uh, we told some great stories, I thought. Uh, Santos <laughs> looked incredible. Considering, I've only just found out this weekend... He snapped the tendon in his foot. Yep. Five minutes before going out. Yep. And he's also, if we're going to get into this, maybe less than two years into the business. What on earth? Absolute man. <laughs> One of my favourite human beings in the world. Um, and he did that dive with one foot. Yep. Crazy. Uh, you know, you had your shocking moments, you had your big people turning up. Not going to spoil it, obviously. Um, people that weren't expected, I mean. Um, I I felt like that show had everything a big, quote-unquote, WrestleMania-type show should have. Had something for everyone. Had some surprises. Had some shocks. Had some of the best fucking wrestling you will ever see. Um, yeah, I couldn't be happier. Whether or not we do it again, I don't know. Oh, really? Is that going to be your next question? I was going to say, where do you, yeah, if, if you're going to run again, or where, where, do you, where do you go from here, I guess, but... Well, that's always the question. Where do you go from here? Well, what would you do? We just sold 4,750 tickets. Legit number. Because we don't... Here's the thing, we don't ever fudge numbers. It's it's a it's a it's a hard one, isn't it? Because especially when you compare, the only thing you can compare this to, I guess, would be ICW running running, running the Hydro, mm-hmm. and they did the SSC, and then they went to the Hydro, and uh, again, no knock, no knock on on them at all, but the numbers have gone down. So the question is really, if you were to run Webley again, would the numbers go down? And if the numbers were to go down, that of course would impact the show. It would impact. A lot of things, and also as well, it would. It I would, refer it would, you to my previous information about menu hire. Yeah, of course. But also, it would impact morale for you guys because the numbers you got for Wembley Stone Gravel. Mm-hmm. If you were to run it again and get three thousand, it, it diminishes it and diminishes it and diminishes it. So again, it's what do you do? And I guess that's a new question. That uh, that's just interesting to get. Yeah, an alternative perspective yeah. on it, you know. I understand. Yeah. I totally do. So um, I don't know. Maybe it's something we come back to every three years or something. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 I don't know. I'm just a bit bored now. Yeah, that's interesting. 
how I uh, usually like to wrap these up, John. And uh, I have two questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you do listen to I'm the podcast. I'm still eating this food. So. You are. Um, <laughs> you, I think you do listen to the podcast. You know, kind of know generally what my question is that I finish off with. But before I came on, Travis Banks uh, went uh, to me... I've got a question that you should ask John at the end. He's like, because I think it'd be one that the fans are quite like. Is it about shaking your sense? It's not about shaking sense. Um, it's not. Uh, but what I will say is, uh, he said, if you could pick one, two, three, five, whatever, what are some of your favourite moments, your personal favourite moments to come out of progress? Oh, that's a good question. I am all about the moments. <coughs> you are. Yes. I am. Um, South Pacific Power Couple returning. Mm-hmm. Pastor William Eva winning the title. Uh, Wars playing at Wembley. Okay. I just saw myself crying several times. Because it felt like WrestleMania. Yeah. They started up and I figured I turned something in the back and went... And now, saliva. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was just particularly during their performance, even during rehearsals, I was welling up. Uh, there's three. The noise in the ballroom, the first show, when the lights, you know, when we started. Yeah. There's four to be going on with. They, again, they, again, it does not be a particular number, it's just the ones that you potentially have. They're the ones that really spring to mind. The ones that, well, of course, they would be the ones. Well, that you know, you'll notice generally, apart from the pasta one, which sort of had emotional resonance for us, Big Pasta being a kind of a homegrown. Yeah, of course. Um, they're not really about title changes and that kind of thing. Like, don't get me wrong, the, t- the, the reactions when there are title changes, like when Walter won the title in July. Midweek. Yeah, on a Wednesday night. Or, <sighs> like, that, that was unbeatable. But for... It's funny, isn't it? I wonder what the difference is. It's, I guess it's his emotion. The emotion in that moment is his and the crowd's rather than progress's. If you were to anthropomorphize, is that the word I mean? I don't know what I mean. So if you be. were to give progress a personality, I got you. I know what you're going to say. Then the moment, for example, when TK and Dahlia came back, when everyone thought they were in New Zealand and gone for God knows how long, that felt, I think to me, that felt like. Um, an emotional release almost for the company yeah. for that personality of the company whereas compared to the title change obviously the, the emotion is there in, in terms of the storyline and the build and unless that person is really really associated with the company for example Pastor William Eva it's their emotion yeah it's their moment yes Rather than progresses, progresses or hours or the communities. Yeah, 
So they're the ones that kind of really yeah. have a moment. They're the ones I'll remember, I think, when this is all burnt to the ground. <laughs> and I'm in jail for an insurance. <laughs> so uh, I'll go back to the very question I ask every week. If you were to give your former self any advice, or if you were to give anyone coming into the business now advice, because again, I always love doing these ones, because referees will give different advice to wrestlers, and promoters will give different advice than wrestlers. So if you were to give your, your former self advice, or anyone coming into the business now advice, I can be a promoter, I can be a wrestler, what would it be? Uh, if he's a wrestler, can I have different categories? <laughs> if you want. <coughs> to be fair, John Bradley, um, I'd be disappointed if John Bradley didn't have different categories. I feel like it was, it's going to be the most uniform answer I've ever had. If you're a wrestler coming into the business, don't get too far ahead of yourself. Don't be entitled. Don't have more fucking t-shirts than you've had matches. I, I really do genuinely mean that. I know it's a, a gripe uh, amongst the, the, the boys and girls who've been around for a long time. But I do genuinely mean it. It's If you're too good to come and help at a show when you've worked <coughs> worked a pre-show for me and you've decided that you've made it at that point then I'm probably just going to forget about you because I don't have the time or the inclination to deal with uh, an ego like that and you're almost certainly not as good as you think you are that's my advice to wrestlers okay. if you're new and coming up so be self-aware. <laughs> um, for a promoter, back yourself. Actually, no, fuck it. In life, right? If you know that you, you're, you're good at something, bet on yourself to do it. Because the worst that can happen is that it goes to shit. I think that's spot on. And I think it's advice that both wrestlers and promoters can do. Oh boy. John, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, man. Right, thank you very much. Thank you. All right. How good was that? Um, you know what? I did this podcast and some people was like, asked me straight afterwards, they were like, um, how, how was it? And the reason they say that, John hits a nail on the head and says is about himself, that he's quite reserved. He, he kept himself as one of the, the quiet owners for a while. People didn't really know that uh, he existed for a little bit. And it's because he doesn't like being the centre of attention. He's quite reserved. And uh, John as well can be seen by some people as quite quiet. And some people struggle when it comes to chatting with John. But not me. I absolutely love chatting with John. I think once you get to know John, get to know a sense of humour. Um, he's one of my favourites as well. And I think I said to John on the on the Jack Sexton podcast that when it comes to dealing with stuff, business-wise, John's my favourite. He's a straight shooter. The other ones can get roped up when it comes to showbiz and the glitz and the glam. And they can, they love, you know, chatting about ideas and they get excited about stuff. But John will look at it from a logical point of view. Is it possible? Is it not? And I love sitting down and chatting to John about stuff like that. Again, what makes this podcast, uh, this episode especially, so good is sometimes you can do podcasts with people they can go on tangents. And we did. We did go on a few tangents and we did add in bits and pieces and we did lose our train of thought and come back to our train of thought, which is always wonderful because it's not an interview, it's a conversational piece 
But uh, what is great is when somebody knows times, events, dates, and John is very good when it comes to that sort of stuff. And that means that it's easy to jump back on where you should be. And it's easy then to kind of make sure that you're hitting all the points you should be hitting. And John did exactly that. Uh, his, his knowledge, his passion for wrestling is uh, is undoubtable. And I love as well that he has a different story how he got into wrestling. More than when I didn't have a clue about him moving to Cornwall. Um, I had no clue that that's how he fell in love with wrestling. And again, I heard a little bit about why, how him and Jim decided to do why him and Jim decided to create progress, and it was from them watching PWG, but I didn't know how both of them met, I didn't know how he then uh, found out that Jim liked wrestling, I didn't know how Jim found out he liked wrestling, and how that relationship grew, and again, I didn't know when he stepped back from comedy promoting, how he got into any of that, and I just thought that it was such a lovely conversation, and I got to sit down with John and have this conversation and kind of open it up, and learn a little bit more about him and I always love having these conversations with people because and I've the only way I can equate it to is when you've been at a house party where it doesn't happen very often now because we're all tired all the time because I'm so old but um, 16, 17 years old you go to a house party of somebody that you know through somebody through somebody, somebody, somebody so you've got somebody's house party that you kind of briefly know or met once and everyone else falls asleep and at 2am you're talking to somebody that you know a little bit about or even a complete stranger and you're chatting and you're having one of these really, these conversations where you share something special with that person and it becomes, they become one of your friends or anytime you see them at a bar, it's always, hey, remember the conversation? Remember when we got to know each other a little bit more? And I always love that. I always love those little chats which make me feel a little bit closer to people. And again, that's one of the reasons why I keep doing these podcasts. Uh, apologies again that my voice is going a bit croaky. It is quite late and uh, my throat is scraggly as hell because of this cold. But yeah, big thanks to Joe Briley for coming on the show. Loved it, mate. And uh, yeah, hopefully have you on again in the future. Of course, if you have enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate, subscribe, review, tell a friend, do whatever you need to do to keep this podcast on the air. Make sure that we continue to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and hit as many listeners as possible. I did look the other day and we were approaching the two. 110k mark which is absolutely ridiculous when I thought nobody would listen to this podcast and now uh, we're on our way slowly but surely onto a quarter of a million which is absolutely mental but uh, yeah if you have enjoyed the podcast please be sure to shout it out tell everyone about it tweet it out at flash underscore morgan on the twitter facebook called forward slash flash morgan website on the facebook at flash morgan website on the instagram or if you want to book me for an upcoming seminar gig event let me know anything about it tell me how much you're joining the show or advertise on the Wrestling Friends podcast all that can be done at the email which is flashmorgan.live.co <coughs> there's going to be so many edits on this because I'm coughing so much but I don't want you guys to have to hear that so I am editing it out so apologies if it's jumpy in places I've just edited out all these coughs because I don't want your ears to erupt as I cough down the microphone but uh, yeah big thanks to uh, John for being on the show uh, big thanks to our sponsors pinsandknucklesmerch.com uh, big thanks to Big Artel, of course, for hosting MorganWebsters.BigArtel.com. Anything you want for pins and knuckles, anything you want from me, head over to two of those. And I guess a big thanks to you guys, because without you guys uh, listening, it would just be me sitting down chatting to my uh, wrestling friends, which is always a joy. It really is. But uh, I like the fact I get to uh, capture it and I get to share it with all you. Somebody come to uh, the merch table at Riptide the other day and said to me that... Uh, it's really this podcast has really helped them when it comes to their uh, depression and their anxiety because I forget sometimes it's just me talking 
down a, a microphone or me just chatting to some of my friends. But I do forget that uh, this does help people as well. Um, it's easy for me to forget because I luckily have never struggled with anxiety or depression on a, on a huge scale. I did struggle a little bit when I was doing my PGC, but I would never want to say anything like that. It was just a hard time and I was lack of sleep and all these other factors. But anyone who goes through it on a, on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, anyone who goes through it and struggles with it, uh, you, I take my hat off you. You're uh, very strong and keep on keeping on. And I'm hope and I and I'm glad that this podcast is a little bit of help to anyone who's struggling there. And uh, it is it is stress awareness week this week. I am aware of that, and I hope that uh, this podcast, if only for an hour and a half, has helped you uh, relax a little bit and let you you know de stress. So big thanks for listening to the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Um, big thanks again to John Bradley as well for coming on the show. I guess all that's left to say is I've been Flashwalker Webster, this has been Wrestling Friends, and uh, it's always a pleasure, always a treasure. And bye. Thanks for stopping by. Have a great week, people. Really mean it. Positive vibes all out.